Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Still celebrating the Saints win yesterday, short week. They play the Rams on Thursday night. All the action for you here on WWL. And Jordan and I were talking during the break. I still don't know if Tommy DeVito was hurt on that that flop or not. I, I was listening to Deuce, and Deuce talked about it being like the NBA flop and soccer and everything. And uh, if he was knocked out, he recovered very quickly because he was laughing about it. But he did go into the concussion or, or the tent, and then they took him into the locker room. So... I, I, maybe we'll never find out. I don't know, but I, I don't know if he was really hurt or not. Let's move on with Selena Realio, a professor of practice at the William J. Perry Center for Hemispheric Defense Studies at the National Defense University. Professor, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Tommy. Good to hear your voice. Good to hear yours. Thanks for coming back. We spoke to you for about a half an hour last time, and, and it, it's a complicated subject. There are so many different diplomatic considerations here, and it concerns President Biden trying to get China and Mexico to help curb the production and transport of fentanyl and, and the role that these countries play in the opioid crisis in America. And, Professor, I guess we should start with how big of a problem is it? It's huge. So actually, as we discussed um, on November 29th, it's the number one killer of our youth between 18 and 45, which is the most you know, productive set of our population. Um, and sadly, we're still averaging about 300 um, fentanyl poisonings a day, which lead to about 150 deaths. So this is hitting every community across. It doesn't discriminate against class or rural or urban, north or south or gender. Um, and as we get closer to the holidays and there's a little bit more partying and partaking in, uh, um, you know, these uh, gatherings, we're kind of worried that uh, come New Year's and for you all in New Orleans, um, Mardi Gras uh, attracts a lot of this drug use that ends up being lethal. When it comes to the, the poisonings from fentanyl and the, and the overdoses, although I don't know if, the, you know, when, when um, um I'm trying to think of the act. Philip Seymour Hoffman died of a heroin overdose. His agent said he sh- they shouldn't say overdose. They should say he died of heroin because you should never, you can't responsibly use heroin. And I guess, in a way, it's kind of the same thing with fentanyl unless you're under a doctor's care. That's correct. So um, it's a lot of it's vocabulary, and you know, word choice is so important as we message to the public. So poisonings are kind of the kinder and gentler way of addressing it. A lot of people actually order counterfeit drugs that they don't know are counterfeit on the internet. Six out of 10 pills, according to the DEA, are laced with fentanyl. So you're not knowingly ordering and taking like a Percocet or Oxycodone. You don't know that there's fentanyl in there. So that's why we're starting to use this term of fentanyl poisonings, which is different from an overdose when you actively seek from a dealer, right, fentanyl um, in its pure format, which, by the way, is 50 times more potent than heroin. See, now, as you say that, that surprises me because I always thought this was, and it happened in in a small community where I live, Belchase, where uh, a senior at high school took half of a pill and was not a, a, you know, quote, pill head or drug user, just did it recreationally, and it goes to one pill will kill, and There's no quality control on these things. I thought it was always from a street dealer, but you can buy this thing, these things on the Internet. 
What's happening now is that a lot of fake pills are circulating on the Internet. Particularly, I hate to break it to them, from our neighbors from the north. So Canada has a lot of online um, pharmacies um, that uh, we see these counterfeit pills uh, infiltrating their supply chain. So you could be, let's say, in uh, Louisiana and then want to order um, some painkillers because your regular doctor is no longer prescribing, which could be the case of that young man you spoke of. A lot of it comes from sports injuries. Um, and then they get dependent on the painkiller, and then there's no more access to it. And that's why they go. They used to go on the street for heroin, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but now um, the pill format is much easier and uh, more accessible. But you can't just order prescription painkillers online from another country, can you? Not necessarily, but there's a lot on the dark net. I think you've heard about the mm-hmm. dark side of the Internet. Um, and a lot of that's actually being paid by something that's very in the news as well with cryptocurrencies, mm. which are digital currencies. So, for example, from my sofa in Georgetown, Washington, D.C., I can actually go into the dark net and order um, drugs and then have it mailed to me. Because at one point, you still have to actually physically get access to the drugs to ingest them. So even if you're getting it from a purported pharmacy in Canada, it could be a contaminated pill because without knowing it, their supply has been contaminated yes. somehow? Adulterated. Adulterated. And then also for vacationers who go to Mexico, a lot of the pharmacies in the resorts are selling um, Xanax, a lot of what I call kind of the, um, the, the, the very popular drugs. Um, and uh, oxycodone, and there we know that a lot of those pills are laced with fentanyl. So you'll see actually tourists that are dying in Mexico for having gone to the pharmacy to get a painkiller. And, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful when I say this, Professor, but it wasn't long ago where the you know it was like don't drink the water in Mexico. Now people are going to Mexico yes. <laughs> and getting no really and getting prescription pills. And taking them, and I don't know how you could not be aware of the fentanyl problem. How how much of a problem is awareness when it comes to this? And that's what we're trying to, you saw and we discussed before that DEA campaign called One Pill Can Kill. Um, You know, all of us were teenagers. We all experimented with alcohol and smoking in our day. But we've never encountered in our generation, I think, Tommy, you and I are about the same age. We never encountered things that could kill you in one go. And this is why in all the high schools now, there's a very active campaign to raise awareness about, you know, don't order things from the Internet. Don't share pills with all your – they actually have things that are called pill parties. And unfortunately, because there now exists an antidote called um, Narcan, um, some of these kids are having pill parties where they actually actively advertise on social media that, hey, don't worry, we've taken precautions, we have Narcan. And I'm thinking to myself, this is actually not the purpose of the antidote. No, um, and, and which, by the way, yeah, it's and uh, you know, law, all of our law enforcement officers now have Narcan along with their uh, service revolver and handcuffs. But that's as not a regular issue. I'm sorry, doctor. That's not always 100 percent effective, right? And don't they have something new that's on the correct. horizon that is even more powerful than fentanyl? Yes. So there's one that's mixed with the fentanyl that's for animals, and this is where you see these pictures of zombie populations in places like Massachusetts and Pennsylvania. I don't think it's actually arrived um, in some large scale to you all in the South, Um, but the Narcan doesn't work on that. So this is how also um, we see that because it's all about chemistry and different formulas, it's very hard for the government and healthcare to keep up with the different variations. And the other thing that we're seeing is that fentanyl is also being used to adulterate traditional drugs like cocaine and heroin, which makes it then lethal. 
This brings us to a marketplace, and of course that consists of supply and demand. When it comes to the supply, um, there has to be the demand for the supply to exist, right? And then that means a lot, a lot of money. How much money is being made on this? Do we have any idea at all? It's impossible. It's in the billions. Um, so it's also the number one this income is yearly generator in the billions? now for the yes, in the billions. Okay, number one and income so generator for what, doctor? I'm sorry, for the, the Mexican cartels. Wow. Um, and this is why it's very difficult from an economic point of view um, for them to stop. First, our consumption continues in the United States as well. Canada has very similar um, uh, population and consumption rates. They just don't track it as off, as uh, diligently as we do. For example, in Canada, they don't do autopsies for every potential overdose as opposed to here in the United States. That's why our numbers exceeded 108,000 certified deaths from drug overdose last year, which is huge um, in an educated population. Um, and that's why the economics driving why the Chinese are exporting fentanyl and the precursor chemicals and why the Mexican cartels continue to produce in their laboratories and ship it to the United States. Um, it's just so lucrative. And that brings me to the supply chain uh, and to track it back. So let's go from um, a pill that is here in the United States that contains fentanyl enough to kill somebody or a pill that does kill somebody. Let's go back from that, doctor, uh, all back through the supply chain to see how it got there. Sure. Or here. So let's say it. Uh, let's say you we um, your law enforcement in um, New Orleans intercepts and finds in a house, for example, um, all these pills of fentanyl. Let me let me interrupt um, for one second. Are they finding pills sure. or are they finding fentanyl itself? To uh, they find to... itself, but it's mostly in pill format okay. for the consumer, right? right? And also, I think you know that our um, in here in the United States, we're given like child's Tylenol, right? Children's Tylenol from age like three. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy, and that is why um, fentanyl laced pills are very um, popular because they're, you don't require injecting or freebasing anything that was more complicated in the past or snorting it. So that pill would have crossed um, into the United States usually through our land borders either with um, a person that actually um, brings the pills over or in um, large trucks or in uh, personal vehicles. Let me jump in a a second. Again, if I can, I'm sorry, doctor, but I'm just full of questions, and I think people that are listening are as well. So when it comes to the border, I know we have NAFTA and we have so many trucks coming over the border. Is the primary concern uh, people that are crossing the border undocumented bringing in pills, or is it all about the volume and how many can be brought in in a truck? Um, it's a combination, but you'd be surprised. A lot of the people who are bringing it in are actually American citizens okay. who work for the cartels. So if you live on a border So state, they can cross the border freely. people, very easily. Yeah. And then more importantly, there are actually some passes. For example, if you um, live in San Diego but you work in Tijuana and vice versa, that was the point of NAFTA, was to uh, facilitate the free flow of people, goods, and services. Um, and it's the most traversed and the most active border in the world, uh, the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, and as you know, it's just the volume that, uh, that uh, actually transpires in an hour is huge. So you'll never be able to fully control. So it's a question of lack of resources, but also just volume. So to parse um, truck also, as opposed to mm-hmm. people bringing them over, not really uh, important because it's happening both uh, on a large scale? It's happening both, okay. yeah. And then what they're trying to do is d- determine risk. 
right, in terms of there's tons of trucks that cross every day, and they can't check every box that's inside mm. of the container. Um, and uh, you talk about risk from the supplier's standpoint, correct? Yes, from their from the let's say the traffickers' point of view, the business. So they're business, yeah, they're businessmen, right? They're looking at a how and women, by the way. Um, they're looking at how can we make uh, maximize our profits by selling this drug that's very easy and cheap to make um, that's in demand in the United States, um, and a lot of it crosses through California and Arizona. Um, as opposed to Texas, because uh, Arizona and California is where the two largest Mexican cartels have the best, I would say, distribution networks, which are the Jalisco and Sinaloa cartels. So you're talking about after it gets into the country, then distributing it, distributing it to the dealers who then have dealers who distribute it to people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, are we talking about tunnels as well beneath the border? And in both there Arizona are, and California? There, yeah, there are tunnels that have been um, – uh, and it's kind of interesting because, you know, as we look at the war in Israel and Gaza, they talk about tunnels. I say we have tunnels on our southern bo- southwest border mm-hmm. that have been very notoriously made by the Sinaloa cartel. And that's actually what you see, too. Um, and it all has to do with border security. So as border agents are distracted by the volume of now over 12,000 um, uh, undocumented um, immigrants coming across the border – it creates a distraction that allows all the drugs to push through um, because you have less inspectors and less inspections, right, of uh, people and cargo and trucks because they're attending to um, all these um, migrants that are coming across, and particularly the ones who have families and children need special care and attention. So you're taking a border agent off the line, as we call it, to attend to the um, human trafficking and human smuggling. Um, that gives the drug traffickers ample uh, ability to skirt and circumvent all the controls. Any evidence that the cartels are um, aiding uh, the number of people that are crossing the border in an attempt to distract the guards so that they can get more of their product across? Yes, and actually there's some that are calculating, people like myself who take a look at transnational criminal um, organizations, there's some estimates that actually human smuggling and human trafficking will become even more lucrative than drug trafficking because the way it works is they charge the migrant of every stage of their voyage, let's say from Colombia through Panama, through Guatemala, through Mexico. It's actually a more lucrative uh, business. Same people do uh, it? Yes, similar, similar gangs and similar networks and the cartels that are doing it. What they're doing is they're using, Tommy, the same exact routes. Right. So it's just it's the product that's moving through is people instead of just drugs. Wow. Um, let me take a break, Professor. We'll pick it up here. We come back. We're talking to Professor Selena Reale. You I'm sorry, Professor, say your name for me and I'll try to get it right. Ray Aluyo. Ray Aluyo. Now I got it. Um, and we'll pick up the conversation when we come back. I could probably talk to you for about 15 hours on this and then come back for another 15 hours, but we'll get as much done in the hour as we can. A professor of practice at the William J. Perry Center for Hemispheric Defense Studies at the National Defense University about China and Mexico and transportation of fentanyl. We're trying to work it back to the supply chains. You heard her say that now human trafficking could become even bigger than drug trafficking. Uh, the, the same infrastructure basically is there. The only difference is going to be the product, the gangs that are involved in this, and we'll trace the supply chain back and see what eventually can get done. If you have any questions or comments, 504-260-1870. That's the Oakland Art Jeweler Talk and Text Line. Happy to have Dr. 
Ray Alu with us. We'll be back in a flash. WWL. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Spending some time with Professor Selena Realuyu. Realuyo? Correct. Yep. I'm sorry. Realuyo. I wrote it a thousand times and I still can't get it right. Professor Selena Realuyo, Professor of Practice at William J. Perry Center for Hemispheric Defense Studies at the National Defense um, University. Uh, parents, you need to have these conversations with your kids. Six out of every ten pills contain a potentially lethal dose of fentanyl. If you didn't get it from a pharmacy, and I know a lot of us bet football, six out of ten, the odds are against, it's not even 50-50, it's worse than that. Let's talk, doctor, if we can, uh, working our way back with the supply chain issue here. A ton of money involved here. So is this primarily a cash business? How does the money get from that network of dealers and distributors and suppliers back to the cartels, and what do they do with it then? So a lot of it is actually cash. Uh, people still prefer to buy their drugs via cash. Um, so let's think about a transaction that would take place um, outside of a high school. Um, here in the Washington area, one transaction took place at a McDonald's outside of a high school. Um, and a young adolescent paid for his uh, drugs in cash, ingested the fentanyl, and thankfully was saved by the school resource officer who was buying his lunch um, at McDonald's and saw that they saw that this young man was overdosing in the bathroom. So that cash has to be laundered some way. So they aggregate the cash here in the United States, which are U.S. dollars. Their problem is in Mexico, you can only change up to 400 U.S. dollars per day per person at a bank. So what they're trying to do is try to figure out how to pay their um, entire network um, in uh, Mexico that help the drug trafficking. I don't know if you've heard, Tommy, it's the fifth largest employer in Mexico are the Mexican cartels wow. of Jalisco and Sinaloa. So just think, Mexico is a very big country. It's our neighbor to the south. But this is a major business income generator for thousands of people in Mexico. Professor, let me jump in for a second because, you know, politic- politics enter into the message sometimes. I see commercials on television um, saying that there's a war on cash, the freedom, et cetera. The only reason there are those banking limitations is to prevent this type of thing, right? Correct. Okay. Um, and that's what we're, and it, it was working pretty well. But then the cartels and the dealers and the traffickers in the United States discovered something called, uh, let's see, e-banking, right, uh, in the Internet, and then more importantly, cryptocurrencies. So this is something that's uh, – you've heard about Bitcoin – Uh, both the good, bad, and the ugly. So what the Mexican cartels are doing are loading um, U.S. dollars here in the United States um, into uh, cyberspace, into cryptocurrency wallets. And then in Mexico, they actually have ATMs where you can take out Mexican pesos, converting your Bitcoin or Ethereum into Mexican pesos. It's the most brilliant way that they've circumvented the currency controls that were imposed at that $400 limit. Is that the ugly truth behind cryptocurrency? Was that really the the, the reason for its development? 
So originally, cryptocurrency was um, invented in order to uh, kind of reject the idea of the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency. It was actually adopted by a lot of libertarians who don't want federal reserves or central banks in it. I look at the dark side of globalization, as you know, Tommy, and mm-hmm. I always am taking a look at how are cryptocurrency used. A lot of it in um, kind of popular circles, it's as an investment, right? It's actually speculative. But the people who actually use it are the criminals. Um, it's ease of use. And it does lend some anonymity. The first time the FBI considered Bitcoin a real currency was when they uncovered a child pornography ring. I think it was 2009 or 2010. And um, clients were paying for their um, access to child pornography using Bitcoin. So that's the first instance that we saw Bitcoin being abused. It's a very efficient way uh, to move money within milliseconds. Professor, um, in the internet, explain this to me like like I'm maybe in eighth grade because I'm trying to understand it. But the only thing that backs the dollar is the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, right? So when it comes to cryptocurrency, what is backing that, and why are these cartels willing to put billions of dollars, if they are, into cryptocurrency, and what is backing it other than the threat of I guess stealing from a cartel? Explain that to me because I don't I'm not getting this. Sure. So uh, Bitcoin in general, it's a trusted network. So it's not backed by gold or the dollar or a central bank. And that's what makes it quite unique. But it also makes it extremely volatile. Um, So this is what we're seeing is a lot of these criminal networks, particularly um, uh, cyber crime networks. And that's not our topic today, but you've heard about ransomware. Almost every ransomware, um, the ransom has to be paid um, in many cases using Bitcoin. I think you remember the Colonial Pipeline attack where we were without oil and gas here on the east coast for several days that was an extortion and it required bitcoin to be the form of payment so what the mexican cartels are doing is they're trying to figure out how do they um, deal with physical cash and then more importantly how do they get their people paid um, that are in mexico and other places that are actually the transporters the chemists that are in the labs um, and the distribution network And so what they've decided is even if – and this is money laundering in general. So let's say from every $100, if you can even just launder 50, you're ahead 50. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is their concept of taking risk. What's interesting about the Jalisco cartel, which is in uh, Guadalajara, they're the ones that seem to be adopting um, crypto wallets faster than Sinaloa. Um, And a lot of it has to do with they're more sophisticated how they use emerging technologies, but it creates a – burden on governments that we have to get smarter about looking not just at physical money, right, fiat currency that's moving in bulk cash, but now taking a look and watching what's happening and monitoring the Internet and cyberspace um, with uh, new techniques. So when you talk about fifth largest employer, the Jalisco uh, cartel in Mexico, right, the government, where, where, where does the Mexican government fit in all of this? Because they can't be unaware of this. They have to be complicit in some way. Right. And many um, opposition leaders um, in Mexico actually accuse the Andres Lopez uh, Obrador government of being complicit with the cartels. They would have to be, um, correct? It's no secret. Yes. And it's no secret that corruption, graft and corruption is the scourge of any anyone fighting crime both in the U.S., by the way, as well as um, in Mexico. Um, And unfortunately, too, um, the 
pres- the current president of Mexico who cannot run for re-election, um, but his party needs the provinces, the states where the cartels have the most power, are the states that he would need for his party to uh, maintain the presidency. And they will have their um, elections just a few months ahead of us next year. So both the U.S. and um, Mexico are having presidential elections next year. And crime and drug trafficking and corruption are top uh, tier uh, issues in the Mexican election. But but if you're employed by the cartel, I would think you would want to vote for the incumbent or whomever it is that is in bed with the cartel, right? That's right. And that's why the estimates are that AMLO's, um, the current Mexican president's party, uh, will retain power. And they've nominated the mayor of um, uh, Mexico City, uh, Claudia Scheinbaum, and it'll be the first female president of Mexico, which is kind of interesting. So until the Mexican government is willing to stop doing business with the cartel, I mean, that's a big first step, but then cracking down would be a second big step because you would have warfare in the street, would you not, with the amount of money that's involved? Right. And then actually Mexico is uh, due to, uh, by year's end, is going to have record homicide rates that they haven't seen since the 1990s. Um, and a lot of it's the fighting within, uh, among the cartels and what they call the cartelitos, the, the smaller offshoots of the larger cartels. So if the government— um, They're fighting for— Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, go, go ahead, ahead, please. So um, the problem is also uh, since the government is— um, in, So the way it works is compared to the—it's similar to the United States. So each state—they have 32 states in Mexico the way we have 50 states. So you have to deal with the national government— then the state government, and then the local government. So there's a lot of people in the chain that these cartels have to corrupt. I, let, me, let me take <laughs> so a break. Also perhaps in the payroll. Yeah, let sure. me take a break. We'll come back. It seems like if the government were to crack down on Mexico, that would lead to a full-fledged civil war almost. It would seem like destabilization. We still have to, when we come back, talk about the precursors for these chemicals that are coming from China and Russia and where who knows where else. It's complicated, this fentanyl problem, and it's not going to go any, any away anytime soon. Professor Selena Realuyo is our guest, Professor of Practice, William J. Perry Center for Hemispheric Defense Studies, National Defense University. She studies this for a living, 939 Traffic Now, WWL. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 